The sponsor for the month is the Banner of Truth Trust. It is a high honor to preach God's Word, but the life of the pastor can still be pressured and tiring. The Banner of Truth Ministers Conference is designed to provide you with encouragement and rest. You will enjoy great fellowship from like-minded ministers and teaching from trusted preachers. Gather with us May 30th through June 1st in Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania, under the theme, Not Ashamed of the Gospel, and enjoy new friendships, find great banner books at exclusive prices, and recalibrate your heart for the ministry. Can't make it in May? Consider the West Coast Conference in October. Thinking about entering the ministry? Well, this is for you, too. Find out more at thebanneroftruth.org. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Good morning, and welcome back to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I hope you guys are all doing well today. This morning, I'm going to do a follow-up to the episode I did yesterday. Yesterday, I talked about the Kenism controversy and just dove in and tried to bring some clarity. I hope I did that. I have heard from many of you and have been very encouraged by what I have heard. And I want to say out out the gate before I even pray here today that I'm so thankful for my friends over at the the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network and Cross Politic. Those guys, I've had many of those guys on my show before, and I have reaped so many benefits from the work that God has done in my life through those guys. And on the other side of the aisle, I've got some friends on the other side of the aisle, the the white boy summer guys, that also are some friends of mine. And I just like to say, I think there is a lot of misunderstanding and confusion back and forth with uh, a lot of the conversation. And so some of the reason I wanted to jump into this is because of the controversy that I've been seeing and the thought that I could maybe bring some help and clarity to the discussion. But first, let's go ahead and uh, pray, and then I want to uh, make a few comments. I actually did watch the episode of CrossPolitik that everybody was up in arms about, the ending when Darren Doan came on last week. Before I recorded yesterday, I'd only heard about it and I hadn't watched it, so I want to make a couple comments on that. And then today I want to lay out six reasons why I am not a chemist. Six reasons why I am not a chemist. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we just thank you for this time. We ask for blessing upon it, and I ask that you would be honored ultimately, and that people would be encouraged and helped as they're thinking through what your word teaches about important subjects and topics. And so help us to have unity. Uh, It is a good thing when brothers dwell together in unity. Help us to know what those lines are and give us wisdom how to act in accordance with that. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so... Yesterday, as stated, I tried to bring some clarity, and, I, and really, I wanted to do is uh, what I wanted to do is lay out a spectrum of kinism and see what I, I think some of the people are saying, which is uh, rooting their argument for uh, their kinism. Again, there's different definitions depending upon who you ask, but the rooting their argument in the love of color and culture and the preserving of the nations, and so it, it is a, a theological nuance. I think it is uh, not a point, of, a point of orthodoxy, if carefully done, as I stated yesterday. Uh, but I do want to explain why I am not a chemist. I was watching the episode yesterday. I, I thought, you know, well, I might as well just go and watch it real quick. So, you know, I put it on double speed or double time or whatever. And I was listening to what Darren Doan had to say on CrossPolitik because um, I had heard about it, like I said, but Really, what I was responding to is going back about a year or so and all the controversy that's led up until now, and then just heard about what was said, and then I decided to go ahead and watch it. And it was interesting because Doan, Darren Doan, and really that you could say the CREC, for some reason has made this particular issue a hill to die on. And they have not made 
other issues hills to die on. Issues that you could really argue are a whole lot more important and a whole lot more uh, theological in nature when it comes to the central doctrines of the faith. But for some reason, this issue has become something they have ran after. And, and Doan, in particular, in that episode, was talking about James Jordan, and he was also talking about Gary DeMar and preterism. And Chocolate Knox had made the comment that most people don't know about preterism or don't know about partial preterism. And I really want to push back against that because we do live in a day when so many people are podcasting, so many people are familiar with Jeff Durbin and, and, and so many people are familiar with Doug Wilson and so many people are now familiar with Gary DeMar and this whole, con- uh, uh, even with postmillennialism and, and the rise of postmillennialism over the last five years has largely been connected to partial preterism. Most people don't know about Max King. Most people don't know about uh, the, the full preterists that have gone before us. But certainly, they, they know the discussion about AD 70. And it's a very common, it's very common in many circles, in, uh, not just in reform circles, but in other circles as well. So, I mean, it is a very common co- uh, topic. And what was really frustrating about that conversation is I was watching Darren Doan speak. And I, I've, I'm thankful for Doan and some of the work that he's done. But I think in this issue, he's really... I can't. Uh, he's not weighing things properly in the balances. He gave credence to. He gave credibility to a full preterist hermeneutic, as Gary Demar is kind of leaning in that direction. It seems like, and he basically gave credibility to that. And you you saw Toby do a good job answering some of those uh, back by saying, "Hey, with the theologians have long talked about the already and the not yet." But then he went on to talk about James Jordan, who has got some very suspect or at least heterodox ideas about so many different things. And he's just, a, he's an odd, he's an odd dude. Just, he's got a lot of unique perspectives and he's, yeah, in fact, verbally denied some central doctrines that are critical. And at least when you think about the language that's used, there's been some denials or at least some heterodox um um, theological perspectives that have been advanced through James Jordan. There's been a, a lot of, certainly a lot of good as well. But then with this particular issue from the guy who has a podcast named All My Friends Are Heretics, this issue is what he goes after. And so if I was on that panel, if I was sitting with the cross-politic guys and was able to answer back these chemists or uh, the white boy summer guys, or if I was able to just sit down and talk with uh, somebody or even answer Darren Bone after he's talking about uh, this is, a, is basically uh, kincest or, or whatever, Here, here's what I would have laid out. There's a better way to do it. So here's six reasons why I am not a kinist. Okay, number one. There is a primacy of the Christian family over the natural relations that is seen in the life of Jesus and modeled in the life of the apostles. There is a primacy, so primary, secondary order when it comes to natural relations or the Christian family or uh, the spiritual relations uh, brought together by the work of God. This is clearly seen, Mark chapter 3, verse 31 through 35, in a very important passage. This has uh, actually has some things to do with uh, the people of God, the visible nature of the church, and uh, how are we to function in covenant theology. It's all wrapped up into this when it comes to Baptist, uh, Baptist theology or when it comes to Presbyterian theology. But this, this, So this is a very important passage, but I want you to listen to what Jesus has to say here in contrasting natural relations with uh, the church or the people of God. Here's what he says. And, and, and his mother and his brothers came, standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, And they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. This is your kin is here. Your mother and your brother, natural relations. He answered to them, 
Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother, sister, and mother. Who is in the family of Jesus? Those who do the will of the Father. That's who's in the family of Jesus. There is an order here. There's a primacy here of, you see, the natural relations. And what Jesus is doing is he's redirecting our understanding, our understanding of family. And certainly there is a household principle throughout the New Testament still in a natural relations sort of way. But there is a primacy here of households. How, which household is primary, which household is secondary. And what we see here clearly is that there's something more important than natural relations. I think this is evidenced also in the apostles and even in Jude. You think about Jude, the half-brother of Jesus. When we get his epistle, he opens with this statement, Jude, a servant or slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James. And this is how James talks about himself as well, a servant of Jesus, a slave of Jesus. They don't appeal first to their natural relations with Jesus. So there is a primacy of the Christian family over natural relations. And this gets us to the question of grace and nature. The book, to reference it again, The Case for Christian Nationalism, Stephen Wolf. there's so many good things in it. And there's a different on-ramp that I take into the idea or concept of uh, God's Word and, and civil affairs and, and what that would look like uh, at, at a national or local level. There's a different on-ramp, but there was so much that was helpful and good about it. But he, he talks about how grace restores nature, and this is a long historical theological principle about grace restoring nature. But I think we have to be careful when we talk about what that means, because if we're not careful, we'll start defining grace affirms or grace restores nature, and we'll define what that means in ways that are counter to the gospel of Jesus Christ or counter to the way the New Testament functions and operates. Because the gospel, what the gospel of Jesus does, it unites ethnicities. It doesn't further divide ethnicities. In valuing different people groups and different ethnic groups as creating the image of God, and we looked at the atonement, considered the atonement yesterday about the, the good idea of the preservation of nations and colors, and we're going to wrap uh, the, the whole episode to this morning up with that concept again, with that good thing and, and, and seeing the realities that God has not bestowed the, the primacy, uh, or excuse me, the, the, uh, an egalitarian model of common grace to every single culture and color. There are differences and aptitudes and abilities and, 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 and culturally speaking, depending upon where people are, there's uniquenesses and all those things are absolutely true. There's so much of what I said yesterday that I was explaining that I affirm as I was uh, laying out some of these positions with, without embracing the the kinism that I was describing broadly. And so grace does restore nature, but what does that mean? Because in Galatians chapter 2, we know the, the divide that was happening with the Jews and the Gentiles when these certain Jews came from Jerusalem. And Paul mentions this to address the situation that's going on in the Galatian churches. He references it because it's important. And it's important in this discussion still to this day as we as we talk through this. So let me just go ahead and appeal to Galatians chapter 2. Let me turn there real quick. If you're watching, you see what I'm doing. And if you're listening, hopefully you're hearing the pages turn here. Let me just get there real quick. Galatians chapter 2. Here's what it says. You guys know the story, but I want to read it for clarity's sake. So this is the second reason. Number, number two, grace restoring nature. What does that mean? The practical implications of that. Okay. Jew and Gentile Christians began to separate. Here, here it is. But when Cephas, Peter, came from Antioch, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For certain, before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. So this is, again, grace restores nature. The, the, the grace 
is more powerful than those natural relations. It has the ability to, when, when we say grace restores nature, it has the ability to bring together then Jew and Gentile at the same table and unite Jew and Gentile in the same church. Okay? So when we talk about force, uh, when we talk about uh, um, we're going to have propensities or we're going to have preferences when it comes to the people we spend time with, where we go and where we gather, there's going to be natural ways that people prefer to gather around with each other. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having predominantly white churches or predominantly black churches or predominantly Mexican churches or Asian churches or something like that. Predominantly. But as soon as we say this is a white church, this is a black church, this is an Asian church, this is a Mexican church or something like that, what we're doing so we're not falling in line with the idea of grace restoring nature. We're actually elevating nature above the work of grace. That, that's what ends up happening here. Where, where you end up saying that segregation is a good thing, what we see here is that this thing, this this forced idea of separation, or the the somehow virtue of separate, uh, of uh, of uh, moral morally uh, virtuous idea of of separate but united kind of thing is not found here in the text because when these uh, when when Paul saw the situation, he addressed it, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led, led astray by their hypocrisy. They were looking at Peter, even Barnabas, and saying, okay, maybe it is good, and they could be using the exact same argument. Hey, grace restores nature here, so we need to gather together Jew and Gentile. We can have our own churches. Yeah, we can have, we can be friends. Uh, we can say we're brothers in Christ, but we're not going to fellowship together at a table. We're not going to break bread together. We're not going to receive the table together. Uh, Here's what it ends up going on to saying, and you guys know this. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, act like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Okay, so even in the context of trying to force the Gentiles to live like Jews, you don't have to force the Gentiles to live like Jews. There's still something there culturally where there's going to be some cultural differences, but they're still at the same table together. They're not. They're not. There isn't this forced separation or or divide because of nature. Because there's a primacy again. There's a primacy. There's a secondary. Primarily, we're talking about the family of God here being united by the blood of Jesus. And here's what's going to happen: faithful ministry over the long haul, will draw people of different colors and cultures into the fold. That, that's what God does. If there is a black pastor that's faithfully expositing God's word over time, what's going to end up happening in a region, because there's not many churches that are faithfully exposing people to the truth of God's word and proclaiming it without apology, what ends up happening is people of all different colors who desire to hear God's word and be in a faithful fellowship end up gathering around. Same thing when, when a white preacher is preaching faithfully, eventually over time, what is going to be happening, and there's going to be more faithful white teachers numerically than faithful black teachers in the country because there's more white people and there's more white pastors. And unfortunately, there's not as many faithful black pastors in the country. And there's not as many faithful Asian pastors around the country. There's not as, as, as many. Um, and it's, it's part of that is just demographically because there's a whole lot more white people in our country than there are any other um, a color. But there is just it's sheer numbers anyways. There's just more faithful expositors of the word that happen to be white has nothing to do with their uh, ethnic superiority or anything like that. But when a, when a white preacher is preaching faithfully, or a black preacher, whoever, what ends up happening over time is there is this, this gathering, in-gathering, of people who are desirous of hearing God's word. They want that. 
And so it's not going to be forced segregation, nor is it going to be forced diversity, nor is it going to be this diversity, equity, and inclusion thing. Like we have to have quotas here, and my goodness, we have to have people from all over the world here and all that kind of stuff. Let God sort that out. Be faithful and let God bring into the assembly who God wants to bring into the assembly. So God is going to to do that. Number three, um, Kenneth seemed to elevate okay, secondary things above primary. We've already been talking about this a little bit. But just because there is an attack on whiteness currently, it doesn't mean that the answer to that is a pendulum swing to elevate whiteness in this sort of like white pride sort of way. So in in light of that, there, there are faithful ways to go about being slandered and talked about, and then there are less faithful ways uh, to be to, to respond to being slandered and talk negatively about. And so it, it is good to be white as it's good to be any color of skin. But again, that is secondary. It's not primary or it's even on down the line. If they're racist towards white people, okay, we need to bear the reproach of Christ and not, it's like water off a duck's back. Big deal. Who cares? Big whoop. I'm not going to be offended if somebody is, uh, it's like not cool, but it's like, I, I mean, I've got more things to deal with and people saying silly things about white people. I've got, uh, I've got more things to do. I've got a mission to accomplish. I have things that God has called me to. So our, our response should not be to highlight that we are white, but to bear that humbly and just don't let it bother us. Move on. In the same way that you would say that to any other color of skin, when people are being mean to them or terrible to them or telling, uh, you know, calling them names or something like that, like big deal. Move on. It's not, it's not the end of the world. Okay, Uh, number four, grace gives us a new culture. When somebody becomes a Christian, no matter what color or what culture, what ends up happening is that you get a new rule of life. You have God's word around you. And what ends up happening is that God has a way of raising people up and elevating them even out of primitive ways of thinking and living. When people get connected to God's word, it changes everything. And over time, what ends up happening is no matter where you're from, there's certainly the, the natural cultural things that you grow up with and how you are in your nature is going to still, you're, you're going to carry that with you the rest of your life. But within that, you're going to have natural sin propensities. You're going to have natural struggles. But what we end up doing is we end up laying down the sinful aspects of our culture the sinful aspect of what we grew up with, no matter where we came from, and we take up whatever God says. So what ends up happening then is across the world, around the world, God's people are going to gather, and what should, like on a Sunday morning, Lord's Day gathering, what God has commanded us to do and prohibited us from in his word, our gatherings should look very similar when it comes to liturgies, when it comes to what we do when we come together. The people of God should be doing the exact same things in, in unique ways, certainly, in, in, in ways that are going to be uniquely different from culture to culture, but the exact same things that God has prescribed for us to do, that's what we should be doing. So there ends up being this commonality in how the people of God live because they're raised up out of their culture, and when grace is restoring this nature, when grace is uniting us in, as, a family, as a family of God, we have this new rule book that begins to shape how we live and how we function. And and so people from cross cultures end up coming into the kingdom of God. And there's a way of the kingdom that supersedes the way we have lived in our particular place with our particular people. And so we begin to be shaped and molded, not by what's normal for me growing up and what was normal for my way of living based on where where I'm from or who or what my lineage is, but I begin to be shaped by the culture of the scriptures. So I want to change what I think and what I feel into what God has called me to do and how God has called me to live. Number five, the fifth reason I'm not a a kinist is because kinists seem to elevate ethnic heritage or history above church history. And I think this is important for us. Um, when I think about 
what my family lineage. I, I like thinking about that. I like finding what, where people are from and, and, you know, tracing that back and finding out where your grandparents are from or when did they come to the United States or when did they immigrate into to wherever. I like that sort of thing. Family history is, is not a bad thing. Even ethnic history is not a bad thing. But when we think about history, we need to make sure that we don't elevate, elevate ethnic history above church history. Because within church history, we have this shared history of the people of God all over the world. And that is primary. Again, when we're talking about this conversation, a lot of it is primary secondary. So we need to keep that in mind. Number six reason I'm not a chemist is the idea of marriage. The atonement, when we get back to that discussion, and what I talked about is that, that differences on this aren't necessarily a matter of orthodoxy, and they're not necessarily rooted in, the, in, in racism. And I, I stand by and I stand by that, but I think the chemists are wrong in this idea of of saying that interracial inter, inter ethnic or interracial marriage is wrong. I think they're wrong with that, and I think they're wrong when they root that in a love of color and culture. Okay, here's why I think they're wrong. The atonement secured the exact cult, cultures and colors that God wanted. Secured. That's what Jesus did. No matter what we do. And globalism is this evil rot that seeks to destroy nations and places and people and unite everyone in an, in a non-gospel way, in a demonic way. Globalism is evil. I hate it. I loathe it. It's not good. But no matter how much globalism happens, no matter how many people and how much the colors are blended together and the cultures are blended together, the exact amount of cultures and colors that Jesus that Jesus wants, that God wants, is it's purchased in the atonement. It is secure and it can't be undone. This is the fixed nature of the atonement of Christ. Jesus purchased a people from God for every tribe. This is the Revelation chapter 5 thing. So th- this is the, the the concept here. So when we when we talk about marriage then, because there is a primacy of family and a secondary, that, 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 that uh, the natural relations are not above the church or the family of God, when we talk about marriage, there's going to be challenges, certainly, if different people from different cultures marry, but there's going to be challenges across the board, no matter what, when it comes to marriage. We are, as one friend yesterday said, we are to marry in the Lord. That, that, is, the, that is the key. That's critical here, is we're to marry in the Lord. And when two people come together that are different colors, different cultures, with both having the same law book, rule book in front of them, with both having the same gospel in front of them, and then these gospel uh, implications of how we live in these gendered commandments in marriage— well, this is going to shape us, how we live and how we function. We're going to end up laying down the sinful aspects of our nature, the sinful aspects of, uh, of our, our sin propensities, our, our cultural just ways of living, and we're going to take up, here's what God has called us to do, and here's how God has called us to live. So God has the ability to do that, preserve the nations and colors, and has already done that, being procured in Christ. And so God has ability to procure that um, nature, or excuse me, nations and colors, without two things. Number one, without prohibiting inter-ethnic marriage. And number two, okay, without, and number two, um, he has ability to, to preserve that even by uniting Jew and Gentile at the same table. God can presu- preserve Jew and Gentile even though they're united in Christ over the long haul. He has the ability to preserve the nations even without prohibiting them from gathering together and being in the same assembly and growing together and without prohibiting them from intermarrying. God has the ability to preserve them. And so we trust him. There's always going to be natural preferences. Inter-ethnic marriage is always going to be a minority, or it usually is. It's going to be a minority here. So God has a way of continuing to preserve that. 
Okay, there are the six reasons why I'm not a chemist. And I, I hope, again, this brings some help to the conversation. And for those that are a part of our church, I know that, that many of you don't know exactly even what this conversation is about. And it, it is, you've been able to, as I've been talking through this, figure out and connect the dots, I'm sure, with uh, the cross-politic guys in the episode. But uh, hopefully for those that are in the discussion, in the controversy back and forth, you can try to understand each other. And I hope to, I hope this is challenging both ways. I hope it's challenging to the cross-politic guys if they are able to hear it, um, those are on their side of the camp. And I hope it's challenging to the, the white boy summer guys and those that are on in the in the Kenneth camp. Okay, thanks for listening. And I would love it if you would subscribe, share, leave a rating or review and reach out to me if it's been helpful, if you have any questions, and I would love to have conversations with you guys about this. Thanks.